I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. Well, how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Money Movers, welcome back to Money Moves, the daily podcast determined to give you the keys to the kingdom of financial stability, wealth, and abundance. Hey, Money Moves family, welcome to the Money Moves podcast powered by Greenwood. Our celebrity guest this week is an American record producer, voice actor, entrepreneur, who has a name that should sound familiar to everyone. He is the son of the late great soul icon Isaac Hayes, Money Moves. Let's welcome Isaac Hayes III to the podcast. Isaac, welcome. Yay, thank you. Thanks for having me. It is our honor and pleasure to have you today. So happy you could join us. You've clearly come from a legacy of greatness and continue to exude greatness and excellence. And it's amazing to see what you're doing on your own accord. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I, I, I'm carving my own lane. 
uh, to speak, so to speak. No, that's absolutely true, and we love to hear that. You know, Money Moves is about that. It's about creating generational wealth, and it's about creating um, family futures and just excellence. So I think this is a perfect conversation. I'm really excited to see what you're working on, especially because you grow, grew up with a father that was deep into the music business. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how that has really set the tone and pathway for your own excellence coming forward now? I mean, it starts with entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. My father was a career entrepreneur. Um, he started from the bottom. You know, he started picking cotton and working in hog factories. You know, um, say that again, y'all. Do you understand? Like when 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 we're talking about growing up in the South and starting from the bottom, picking cotton. Yeah, yeah. He was born in 1942 um, in Memphis, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. uh, and his parents were sharecroppers and he picked cotton, um, you know, grew up a very, very meager, poor existence, but he was self-educated mm -hmm. and a self-taught musician and, and became like this, you know, international icon um, coming straight out of Memphis, Tennessee, a, a boy with dreams, you know what I'm saying? That, that rose to heights of success through uh, music. It's an incredible story. Wow, that's incredible. So, you know, on Money Moves, we really like to talk about this mindset, not just of excellence, but how financial literacy was passed down. And I love how you framed your dad as an entrepreneur, not just a musician, but an entrepreneur. Mm. Talk about some of the lessons that he left with you in terms of how you view money, building wealth within your family. Well, I mean, it, it's, they're hard lessons because he was an artist in the music industry that was taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. He lost rights to a lot of his music. And sometimes that resulted in him losing millions and millions of dollars worth of revenue. And so you learn the, you learn the lesson of ownership. Um, the music business can be savage, contracts, things like that. So um, for him, my conversations were always about ownership, always about owning your content, owning your publishing, owning your brand. Um, and, and that's really, you know, kind of what sustained him throughout his career. He did things that were so great that he was always someone that people called on to work. Um, and he set, you know, he set a tone for, I think, future, future generations to really understand and learn, especially in the hip hop business about how they were treated, telling kids to own their things with sampling and stuff like that, when that came back around and how that was extremely important. So for me, those are the lessons that he taught. It was always like, I always had an entrepreneurial mindset from my parents and they didn't really force me, you know, saying like, you're gonna go out here and get a job. They kind of let me do my thing. Um, and so when I got a chance to really venture out and decided that I was gonna be a career entrepreneur, it was a very scary decision, but it was the best decision that I ever made. You know what I'm saying? You know, going down that path. So talk about your early days of, you know, deciding to be an entrepreneur. What were some of your first ventures? And well, okay, so my family makes fun of me all the time because I have a little brother. He's 15 years old. I've been working since I was like nine years mm -hmm. old. I was always the kid that would mow lawns, help people move, anything to make some money, right? Yep. So, I mean, it didn't I matter. I love the hustle. Yeah, always like that. You know, I did that as a kid. Um, I got in trouble at school one time for like creating a club and selling like memberships to it. With kids' lunch money. Okay, now, tell you, how I, old I, were I used, you when you did that? <laughs> I was in like elementary school. I was in like third grade. 
Um, but then, you know, I, I worked, I worked, I went to the mayor's youth leadership program um, in Atlanta. And then I worked at the public library and then I graduated high school and I, and I decided that I was going to, to just get a regular job. I hadn't, I was in between deciding whether I'm really going to do this or not as a producer. So I worked a job at this, this place called the Linen Law for two years. It was like Bed Bath & Young before that. And I remember it, it took so long to get to work that when I quit my job, I quit my job in February of 1996. I said, there's two things that I never want to do again in life. One is work for another person. Wow. And the second one was ride public transportation. Wow. <laughs> and ever since I made that decision, I haven't done both. I haven't been on the bus and I haven't had a boss since February 1996. And that's such an interesting conscious decision. You were like, no more. I want to, you know, be my own owner, own my own businesses and not work for anybody else. And I think that's a dream so many people have. I didn't didn't go to college. Mm -hmm. So so I didn't go to college when a different world was on TV. So let me tell you something. <laughs> I was like the last, the last guy that a girl wanted to talk to. Wow. You ain't got no degree. You're not a okay. You know what? That seriously bum. hits because everybody was watching a different world, and it was like you needed to be at Hillman or da 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 da. So I get you, bro. I was, I was an outcast. I was at home, like you know. But um, what I learned was my college was I had earn enough money to buy some equipment and learn how to start to produce and engineer records, right? So those four years from 96 to 2000, those are my four years of learning how to make records. Yep. Um, I got my first chance to really do jump in the music business with Tricky Stewart over at Red Zone. Yep. Um, I produced a record. I made like $4,000 for my first record. I was like, wow, okay, I could do this. You know what I'm saying? Like that was a lot of money at the time for me coming up. Like, all right. But um, that started me on my journey of really learning how to hustle because everything that I did was always learning how to have a skill set that could get me in places mm-hmm. where I could I could use my skill set to make money, but also use my skill set to hustle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love so, that. You know, like I, I worked at recording studio. So the studio needed a studio manager. I know how to do that. But then during the downtime, I could use the studio to make beats. Right. So that's kind of how I got my foot in the music industry was learning how to engineer, burning CDs, all these kind of like odd jobs, you know what I'm saying, that really just got me in the spaces and places where I could be around music. And then they led to opportunities that led to my break in the music industry. Well, you are being very humble because you've been behind some of the most memorable tracks and soundtracks of the last 20 years. Little Scrappy, there's a whole litany of them. Um, Mm -hmm. And now you've sort of taken a twist and you're getting into the technology arena and i love this because it's completely in line with what your the legacy your father's left behind in terms of ownership can you tell us about fan base yeah so fan base was a venture that i started in 2018 it was an idea that i had about 2018 yep uh, i saw a kid dancing in a spider-man costume um in a GameStop to aha take on me and he was from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh-huh. He goes by the name of Ghetto Spider. Um, and he quickly had like 300,000 followers out of nowhere. And I just shot him a DM. And I was like, hey, congratulations, young Memphis. You know, just to say it was casual. It was so casual. And his his immediate response was, are you a manager? And I was like, no, not like that. He goes, I really need a manager. Like he was really on me about the fact that he needed management. I said, well, give me your number. Um, Let's talk about it. You know what I'm saying? I'll see maybe if I can help you out. But I left the conversation like, yo, 
this kid is like a deer caught in the headlights yep. and he's having this viral moment and he doesn't know how to monetize it. I said, he needs to be able to monetize his dancing. I said, there needs to be a platform where people can, can subscribe to you, but follow you. Mm-hmm. So I said, that was the birth of fan base. Um, I got extremely lucky uh, with my attorney introducing me to my now CTO and his firm. And we built the, we built the app from, july to december wow um, 20 2018 and this was a this was a bootstrapped company like fan base cost me two hundred thousand dollars to build mm-hmm. of and, your own money y'all understand what bootstrap means you know people yeah. think you're just going out asking for investor money like this is his own blood sweat and equity right and it, and it was a lot you know i i you know earned money um in the music industry and spaces and places like that. And I was able to use some of that to really, like I said, go out and, 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 and put this idea into the space. And so we launched the company like January, 2019, but I didn't tell anybody that I built it. I was really quiet about it. And the reason was because I wanted to raise money at some point, mm-hmm. but I knew that if I ever raised money and told people like, okay, how many users you got, what's your traction like? If I told people that I told this famous person or this famous person to download it, then they would be like, that's BS. That's not real data. So I left the app alone for a year. And in the course of a year, a couple of people made some money. But one person, one user made about $6,000 and we had about 10,000 users. Wow. So I was like, OK, I have a proof of concept. Now I know that yep. this will work. Now we can scale this. Now we can take it and say, all right, if, if this person can do it, then other people can do it and make money. So as soon as I planned to do that, COVID hit, came down like an anvil. The world was, the world was shut down. Yep. So somebody that we both know, Monique Idolette. Love her. Absolutely. Rain Venture, shout out to them. Monique said, you need to go and raise money on this platform called Start Engine. I had shown her fan base. She says, this is dope. Like, there's nothing out there like this. And, and OnlyFans was a thing that was out there, and I was yep. totally aware of them. And I always knew that they were going to blow up. I was like, OnlyFans is going to have this viral moment that when the strippers find out about this thing, they're going to go crazy. And, and it happened exactly during happened. And when Beyonce said, start an OnlyFans, I was like, this is out of here. This thing is it's nuts. It's crazy. So anyway, my initial goal was to raise a million on Start Engine. I got accepted to the platform. But when I got accepted to the platform, I simultaneously got... Yep. Yes. So... At the time that I was that I got accepted to Start Engine, I got invited to this app called Clubhouse. Yes. You know about Clubhouse, yes. right? Yes. So, so the invite to Clubhouse came. And when you're raising money in a Reg CF, you can't tell anybody that you 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 you're you're raising money until the raise goes live. You have to be quiet about it. Yep. So so I got on Clubhouse and there were a lot of cool people on Clubhouse. Don't don't get me wrong. There were a lot of brilliant people, a lot of VCs. But but one thing that I noticed was there were black people on Clubhouse, but there were some black people that I knew personally that knew a lot of the VCs and a lot of the other people on Clubhouse that were not black, that might have yeah. been white or whatever. And I'm like, yeah. why are they not here? I'm like, oh no, this isn't right. I was like, I'm finna invite the hood to Clubhouse. I'm finna, I'm finna turn up. So I got some invites. So I invited like uh Snoop Dogg, uh Van Lathan. Cortez Bryant, who managed Little Nas X, yeah. Trippy Red. I invited Sean Garrett. I invited um, Brian Michael Cox. I invited just a ton of like people. Dina Marco. What month do you think this was? 
Because huh? I feel like you were certainly early to the game. And, you know, I was early on Clubhouse as well. And then all of a sudden, Isaac get, gets on Clubhouse. And I'm telling you, you definitely changed the culture of Clubhouse for sure. Like Atlanta represented heavy now. Yeah, it came, it came in like maybe a week later, like Fadia got on there and it was over. It was like, all right, yeah. it was just action packed. And so Clubhouse was having these really viral moments. But when we got there, everybody black got on the app. The first thing that people started saying was, here we go again. We finna blow up another app. Yep. But is it is it really like, is it really for us or do we own it? And I was thinking like, hmm, I said, well, I'm about to raise money for this startup. So I just sat back and let people complain for like three months, like August, September. My raise didn't go live to October 29th. So people were coming on the platform and I was like, all right, I hear you talking all this big shit. I was like, I'm gonna come back around and be like, well, guess what? So, so Clubhouse was starting to blow up, right? You know, like 21 Savage got on there. It yeah. Was popping. So um, October 29th comes and I go back on Clubhouse and hold my first room. And from that room, I think the first ten dollars or $20,000 of investment in fan base came off of Clubhouse. Wow. Just having rooms that. and explaining to people uh, the opportunity to invest because, you know, doing a reg CF raise, um, a regulation crowdfund, you're actually raising money from the general public. So you're yep. giving people a chance to invest in a tech company that aren't, aren't accredited investors that never get the cost to invest in Uber, Lyft, Clubhouse, like that. And I love this because this is what Money Moves is about. It's about being able to create generational wealth and expose our community to, you know, investments and wealth building that we've previously been excluded from. Because people, are you an accredited investor? Can you get into this round? Are you connected in the valley? And here's a perfect example of you creating opportunity for so many people to invest some money and, you know, get returns down the line. Yeah. And so... So that was extremely important for two reasons. I know that in social media, mm -hmm. the users, well, three reasons, but number one, the users are the ones that directly affect the value of the platform, yep. right? So that's one. And then two, I understand the effect that black culture has on the valuation of these tech startups because we just watched it on Clubhouse. It yep. just, Clubhouse literally went from a $100 million company to a billion dollar company from August to January. I yep. just seen it. Yeah, We've seen it happen in real time. So. Um, the fact that I know I could go to the community and say, hey, look, here's a chance to invest in this startup and have a piece of equity in it. And we could turn around and the cheat code is we leverage our culture in the same Drive way. Drive people to, to it. it. Yep. Yeah. And, 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 and make it happen that way. It'll be extremely important. And then what what really was important to me was when fan base is successful because I'm just claiming it. It's going to be a, a multi-billion dollar start. Claim it, claim but it. When it is, you know, whatever exit or IPO we have, when I do this and when we do this, it'll be the largest distribution of wealth to black people in the history of this country. We have over 5,100 investors. Mm -hmm. Most of them are black people. Most of them are first time investors. And the fact that these people took a chance in this company and they're going to rise and see a return. It becomes a model for the way that we can fund our own businesses. Because yes. if this works for fan base, it can work for a multitude of businesses. Yep. It can work for a record label. It can work for a barbershop. It can work for anything. Like, you know, okay, I'm going to start a barbershop. Okay, I'm going to raise a million dollars on fan base. Yep. And then all we do is go to that barbershop. We invest it. We have a piece of it. And I, and I tell all my friends, it's the only barbershop we're going to use. 
and then we blow that thing up and so on and so forth. And we can do that with our businesses. So I thought that was extremely important. It is extremely because take, important. Taking it, taking advantage of the Reg CF regulation is important. And it also, one thing also it says is, you know, and I know, I know we've heard this before, how people say Barack Obama hasn't done anything for black people. I was like, you understand this jobs act, this jobs act is something that people don't understand that they should be taking advantage of. And since then, I referred at least two or three people to start it and who are going to raise capital on there. And other people have asked me about it and they're black and brown people. And so I'm telling everybody, take your take your opportunity to go to start engine and raise money. And, and, and that's what I'm doing. That's amazing. And it, does, it sets such precedent for how we continue to look at business, supporting business. And again, like those 5,100 people that invested in Fanbase, when they get their returns, they now have the ability to take that money and reinvest it back. And that's the cycles and that's sort of what we need to start seeing happen is that trickle-down effect occurs again and again and again. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. 
His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, the accredited investor rule has been around since 1933. Mm -hmm. So one thing I can say is coming out of the Great Depression, it didn't matter if you were black or white, it was really about rich people making themselves richer. Like, oh yeah, go over here and invest in IBM. Yep. What's like, don't worry, you got to be accredited. And I'm so like, you got to stay at the exactly. And the, the thing that I tell people all the time, even when I was raising capital was they said that the accredited investor rules to protect people from squandering life savings and making bad investments. But I asked people two questions. And when I asked them these questions, they'd be like, wait a minute, that is some bullshit. <laughs> like, do you have to be accredited to go buy $5,000 worth of lottery tickets? Nope. No. Do you have to be accredited to go to Vegas and gamble your life savings away? No. So it's BS. So someone like Oren Michaels, if you don't know who he is, Oren Michaels was a seed investor in Uber. He put $5,000 into Uber Mm. in in 2010, right? In 2019 with an IPO, that $5,000 was worth $24 million. Uh. The Tanya. We in ATL. Uh. I know rappers, producers, songwriters, strippers, street dudes. Everybody, we all got five G's in Atlanta. Like, come yep. on, but we, we're not getting the call. We're not we're getting the call. The Uber. Yep. And I now, mean, but on, like, this is what I love. We're, but this is what I think is also so important that we're recognizing that we can create our own. And, Absolutely. you know, that narrative has been changing. We're, and especially in a city like Atlanta, and I know you're, you, you get this. Like, we have, we drive the culture, we have the creators, we have all these things. And so now, it's not only that we are taking a seat at the table, we're creating our own table and harnessing our own power. And this is also what I love about fan base because number one, you've allowed people to invest in it, but fan base is also about being able to monetize our own IP, our own creative content. So just so that people understand exactly what fan base does, can you give us the lowdown on fan base, the app? Yeah. So fan base, like I said, is a platform that allows you to monetize any content via subscription or virtual currency we call love. So like on platforms where you can like content, you can do that on fan base, but you can love it. But when you love it, you wind up giving the person that posted that content, the user, the creator, half a penny per love. And you can love a post as much as you want. So if you want to give somebody $100, $1,000 on one post, you can do it. When they go live, if you want to love, when those hearts float up on Instagram, that don't mean nothing. But when them hearts float up on fan base, you're making half a penny and people can hold hold a button down and actually give you something called big love, which is like 100, 500 or 1,000 loves at one time. I love And love. you can hold down on big love and go 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000. So you can just shoot somebody $20, $100 really, really quick. What's the biggest love someone's ever got so far? Oh, man. I mean, I don't I don't know. Well, I, I did something bananas, but I wanted to, I did a case study and we had a creator conference in Atlanta. And I, I had a hat left over. I had a, I had a snapback left over and I posted the snapback on fan base. And I said, whoever loves this post the most in the next 48 hours, I'm going to send you the hat in 48 hours. 
it was $2,400 worth of love given to me. And I made $1,200 off a $40 hat in 48 hours. Now, mind you, I'm not like, I ain't Travis Scott. Right. I'm not Beyonce. Like, so I'm thinking like, yo, man, when they figure this out, it's going to go crazy. Or, you know, I went live and I was maybe live for like 30 minutes, but I had 200 and 236 viewers and I made $256. Wow. Okay. So this tells me that one day somebody's going to go live on fan base with a million viewers and make a million dollars. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's going to change the game. It's going to be like, oh, okay, I see. And, and, and I'm seeking to be, I'm seeking to democratize access to distribution mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, 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 um, and access to capital for everybody. Because I consider, we use this term content creator all the time, right? And I think every single user is a content creator. You, me, anybody. Yep. You know, if, if we're out at lunch and I take a picture of some hummus and post it, I'm creating content because in between those posts, they're running ads. And so at the end of the day, we're all content creators. Collectively, these platforms use us and run ads and make billions of dollars and don't give anything back to the creators. So I feel like the ad model is a little bit stale. Yeah. Um, and, and the rev share model and the subscription based model is the wave of the future. And so that's what we seek to do is be extra, extra disruptive. So fan base is really giving, you know, we got we have a long form. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have a long form up to one hour. So you can post up to one hour's worth of content on fan base. So literally every single person on the globe is their own Netflix. So if you, wow. if you spend the time to shoot a sitcom, a podcast, a reality show, you can post it, put it behind a paywall. But the cool thing about that is you're you're doing it in a community environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What differs uh, differ, differentiates us from platforms like Patreon and OnlyFans is those are platforms that are centered in, in, in seeing one individual and they're not community based. So once you go there to see the one person on Patreon or the hot like naked girl on page on, on, on OnlyFans, once you leave, once you see that there's nothing else left for you to do, you're like, I'm out. Ah. In, a, in a community environment, you're sending content, you're sharing content, you're commenting, you know, we and and I did build audio rooms like Clubhouse. And I know it's a little bit controversial. Why? But... We love controversy. <laughs> but the but the reason why I did that was there was a little a little turbulence during the election mm-hmm. that happened. And I and I feel like they I feel like Clubhouse put everybody to their perspective side. They put the Republicans and the Democrats, the liberals and the conservatives and said, look, it's just too crazy over here. And in that process, I think people felt like they didn't necessarily have a voice. And audio, I felt like was a vertical. And I was right. Yeah. I felt like audio was a vertical that no matter what, how how great Clubhouse did, the other platforms were going to duplicate it. I feel like they built their version of what, like when Snapchat did stories, yep. I feel like Clubhouse did audio and like like Periscope and people did live and these platforms, I said, they built a vertical that's going to be amazing and everybody's going to try to copy them. And I said, there's no sense in me not at least trying to add that functionality, but add monetization. So when you're on a stage, right. you're talking your fan base, there's a little heart icon above your profile picture and somebody loves what they're you saying, they can give you money and they can hold down on it and give you bread too while you're yeah. talking. Yeah. So people make money. We had a kid I was talking to yesterday and he said he made about $157 this month on fan base. And he just said, by simply talking in audio rooms, he doesn't have any subscribers, but all that money came from him talking in audio rooms. Wow. And that's, where, that's where most of the revenue on the platform is coming from is people talking in audio rooms and getting love. I love that part in the yeah. pun. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So tell us Isaac, how we can all get involved. Tell us where we can find you on social media. Tell us where we can download the fan base app and make mm-hmm. some money. 
So Fanbase is available on iOS and Android. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you can find me on Fanbase at Isaac Hayes 3, Twitter Isaac Hayes 3, Instagram Isaac Hayes 3, Clubhouse Isaac Hayes 3. Oh, man, Isaac, this was such a great conversation, and I'm really excited to see what you're building, what's next with you and with Fanbase. And thank you, thank you, thank you for creating a platform for incredible creatives to monetize and create wealth. And this is all about what money moves is. So I appreciate you, and thank you so much for your time. We'll be sure to get involved, stay on top of the growth of the platform. So y'all, Fanbase app, get it, download it, and let's get cracking. Thank you so much for tuning in, Money Moves audience. If you want more, or a recap of this episode, please go to bankgreenwood.com and check out the Money Moves podcast blog. Stay tuned tomorrow and every day this week. We owned a uh, tailor shop, which is actually on the same street. So this is Arthur Street. The tailor shop was uh, literally across the street from where we are today. Or from our expert. Sometimes black people, we're so innovative that we innovate at a pace that we don't realize we're creating economies and we're creating infrastructures that we don't own mm-hmm. and a guest you won't want to miss my grandmother had a catering business and so i started working with that business when i was seven years old so i was making money uh, when i was seven uh, mom had a cake business which was tied to it my dad was executive chef money moves is an iHeartRadio podcast powered by greenwood executive produced by sunwise media inc For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.